You're listening to the Today's Conveyancer podcast, the leading source of information for residential property lawyers in England and Wales. Don't forget to subscribe and sign up to our free newsletter at todaysconveyancer.co.uk. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Hello and welcome to the latest Today's Conveyancer podcast. This week I'm joined by David Kempster. David is probably known to many of you. He's the marketing director at Groundshore. Uh, and the podcast today is going to be about climate change. I can hear some rolling of eyes uh, or see some rolling of eyes when you talk about climate change because it tends to be a bit of a divisive issue, doesn't it, David? Uh, <laughs> but today we're going to be talking about why it's important for conveyances to be taking notice of climate change and actually how it's going to impact their roles going forward. So appreciate you joining the podcast today, David. Thanks very much indeed. Oh, you're very welcome. Great to be on board. So my first question is probably the same question that a whole load of people that are listening to this have got, which is why now? Why is climate change an issue for conveyances now? Well, climate change itself is actually nothing new. It's 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 been around. The earth has got warmer, colder. You know, it's just a lot of it is natural um, forces and, and uh, how, the, how the climate systems work on the planet. But that doesn't actually excuse the fact that it, we've done quite a bit in recent years to accelerate that. So all the science is saying that it is accelerating and it's placing greater risks, as we all know, on property assets and for for investors and for businesses and for homeowners. And ultimately, that's who we are serving in the legal profession. Those are our end clients and they're the guys and girls who've got all the focus in terms of the monetary risk on, on these assets. So we have to take a, a very clear view down the track now. Um, and when you think about environmental searches, the view has always been very much looking backwards. It's been looking at the historic land use, for example. Um, but we've got to take a view on that and look ahead and see how the climate is starting to adapt and change what is beneath us and what's around us and what uh, what was happening in the in the geography. So there have been, you know, past warning cards and guidance notes on this for things like contaminated land and flood histories, which we all know. Um, but you know, using the same searches we now have to look ahead so that's very much where we're at today you guys are sort of quite heavily involved in this but to what extent is this being driven by home buyers to what extent is it being driven by lenders by uh, by consumers um it's actually being driven by uh, lenders predominantly in terms of their own compliance requirements um they have been looking at stress testing uh, their own existing portfolios for lending. Uh, the Prudential Regulatory Authority is effectively their regulator, and they have put stress testing on banks to make sure that with forward climate scenarios, their existing lending is going to be up to scratch. And that is a requirement that uh, the Bank of England have uh, put in place. And Lenders have now looked at this in terms of their existing portfolios, which is great for a snapshot in time. But they've got to look ahead and they've got to see how the new business that they write is going to manifest over time in terms of their forward risk. So a lot of that's coming from that. The other angle uh, that certainly some commercial law firms are now feeling is environmental social governance risks as well. So ESG is something I'm sure many of your listeners will have heard of as a as an acronym. And that is now forcing quite strong risk and compliance 
issues in firms at a very senior level. So there's a classic case, uh, we'll probably be uh, relatively familiar with it, where lawyers that were acting for Shell um, were uh, found culpable or, or complicit in greenwashing in terms of what Shell was putting out on a, on a global level. And ESG risk has trickled down and found its way to who gave that advice in terms of how they could execute their strategy and their communications and what they were doing. And this has made many senior lawyers sit up, particularly in the risk department, because they're thinking that actually this means any form of advice or guidance we give in accordance with the impact of climate change. So for me, actually, it's all well and good saying from a convincing perspective, a lender may change their guidance to say, do more climate change information or data. But the bigger issue for me, I think, is is how PI insurers are looking at this more carefully now and how ESG as a risk is now um, becoming a greater pressure on how law firms operate and what advice they give. And you talked about search is currently kind of being either a snapshot in time or you know, predominantly looking backwards. That's not going to change, presumably. You still have to be able to sort of look backwards at some of the historic stuff, but also now you're going to start looking forwards. How does that work? How are you going to start sort of predicting some of what's going to happen? Yes. So environmental searches that everyone will be familiar with do still have all of that information that looks at the historic land use. They look at the extents of flooding and uh, they look at the natural subsidence and they look at other factors such as energy and infrastructure and planning risks and so on. So they're all still there. Absolutely. Um, But we um, launched the Climate Index as a, a data module as an additional inclusive free feature within our key reports. And the idea for that is to give an indicator looking ahead on those main um, risks that lenders are predominantly focused on in terms of their own risk portfolio. So that will be flooding from all forms. It will be subsidence, both in terms of natural subsidence and also coastal erosion. Um, those are what they're very much focused on in terms of the physical risks. So really, it's just how it's represented. For example, it's, it's prominent on our front page and it gives a guide to um, what's coming down the track. Uh, both in terms of existing uh, risks. So that would be a one-year view, so it's effectively today. It could be a five-year view, so that would be based on typical mortgage lending um, uh, in terms of those loan periods. And it can be up to 30 years, which would be, for example, in a typical longer-term resale period. So a family home, for example, over that time. And we are getting lending uh, now for many properties up to 30, 40 years anyway. So that's why uh, the banks are very focused on this now with that time period. I think you probably preempted my next question there, David, <laughs> which is lending periods are getting longer. Is this mm. is this a move by the banks really to try and understand what their risks are over that longer period of time? You know, so taking a much longer term view of, of their their portfolios. Yeah, I think some of it's perhaps marketing, some of it's perhaps tie-ins and trying to build relationships, but we know the mortgage markets and we know you, you can move from one to the other, but you're absolutely right. They are looking at the you know, the forward stress testing. They're seeing on the basis of this now how that's, uh, how that's going to roll out. I mean, at Groundshore, we've been doing that for quite a number of years now with uh, on the commercial side of lending with uh, some of the main banks anyway. So this, this to them is kind of normal in terms of how it impacts the, the valuation picture. And, and the climate data has already been in um, working with them on some of their larger ticket commercial uh, 
portfolio already. So they're, they're getting increasingly familiar with this. And I think you'll see certainly that um, there will be a domino effect um, as as particularly on the residential side. I think commercials understood the risks are higher, the valuations are higher, the, the risks to their book is higher. But obviously in terms of the number of transactions that are coming you know, down the line, um, then the residential market, I think, will will fall in line fairly quickly as well. And some are going to be quicker than others, but there will definitely be a domino effect in terms of how they change their advice and their guidance and how that comes through in the handbooks. So we've already got sort of a template, if you like, in the commercial market for this. This isn't a case of, uh, you know, flying blind. We, we kind of know what we're doing uh, in order to bring it into residential. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think the banks necessarily differentiate in terms of um, what they want to see in terms of how it could impact on value uh, and report on title. And I think report on title is is, is going to be the key focus here, because if you're if you imagine that you, you're looking to try and advise your client as best you can using perhaps standard clauses and those those already exist. Uh, in terms of a duty of care for, for climate advice. The, the Chancery Lane project has had those now for a couple of years. So anyone listening can take a look at the Chancery Lane project on climate change clauses, and they can see that they can already insert some of this advice already. Um, so this is not new uh, in terms of how you can advise your client. Um, but I think in terms of some of the ways in which some panel arrangements are, are done through through residential, I think there may have to be a more prescribed route that lenders do with their panels in terms of what they want to see in the report on title. All of this feels as though it's another thing that's going to land on the desk of the conveyancer, another due diligence report, another search of some description. How do you see that this is going to impact conveyances? Because, you know, from where I'm sat right now, this just feels like something else they're going to have to deal with. Sure, we, we recognise and absolutely understand the pressure that conveyances have been under in the last couple of years. SDLT, we know the history. Yeah. Um, so the last thing we wanted to do was create another report. We didn't want to create another barrier, something else to think about, something else for search companies to include uh, as a package. So we wanted to include it automatically in a report and it's designed in such a way that it's a clear indicator, a grade rating uh, of its risk across each of the types. And, you know, there is some very straightforward signposting that can be done um, in terms of how that's included in their existing descriptions of environmental um, risk. Um, all this is doing really is effectively identifying a forward flood risk. So conveyances are already familiar in talking about flood risk, the fact that there may be a flood risk and it may have an impact on insurability and it may have an impact on the loan. Um, so what we're saying here is by looking at the one, five and 30 year, we're saying it may have very little impact in the one and the five, but when it comes to resale, your client may have a slight issue depending on how the scenario plays out with the climate modelling. I don't know whether you know the answer to this. How much of this is is home buyer driven? How much do we sort of understand that home buyers are concerned about this? Or is it predominantly lender driven? Well, I think there is there is concern from home buyers in the sense that they're hearing it, seeing it, feeling it in the national media. Uh, the younger generation are increasingly, this is one of, one of their number one concerns. First time buyers are, are obviously joining the market. They're younger, they're more uh, earth aware, concerned about sustainability and their impact in the community. 
and and obviously they want to feel that they're safe and secure in a community in terms of their future investment so we're, we're really reflecting this in terms of in terms of advice but I, I want to stress to you know conveyances listening to this that this is very much just looking forward with the same information yeah so again we're, we're used to identifying issues related to subsidence and flood risk and if if the the property itself is on the edge of a cliff then clearly there's going to be a an issue that would be fairly obvious to most anyway um so you know we're not in the business of putting barriers in the way this is meant to be friction free um and getting you ready for the compliance that will be coming down the track um as i say in the future from from lenders who are already themselves under scrutiny um from their regulator I don't know how much detail you can go into, David. The data that you provide currently in the searches, you're reasonably upfront around. What data are you using for this climate change analysis? Because I think you've already alluded to the fact that, you know, it's not quite finger in the air stuff, but we're not a million miles away. We're not really very sure what the impact is going to be. Uh, we're not. Yeah, we don't have a crystal ball that says in 2050 it will be this hot and you know this wet and everything like that. What we have are, without getting too sciencey about it, are what are called representative concentration pathways (RCPs). So if you look in the back of our reports, it gives a description of what the modelling is based on. So there are three effective RCP that that just shows the track of where we're going in terms of potential warming. So everyone's heard of this one and a half degrees centigrade of warming, which is the kind of the, the level of warming above pre-industrial levels that the earth in general ideally shouldn't go above. And um, at our conveyancing climate change conference just a few weeks ago, the Met Office and also Roger Harabin, a very respected ex-NEL BBC um, Energy and Environment uh, correspondent, both effectively said we stand no chance of safeguarding one and a half degrees based on current policies, current usage of fossil fuels. So what you've got to do is realistically take a middle pathway. You can be a doomsayer and say it's going to warm to four degrees, which would be frankly catastrophic for you know much of the world, particularly the much warmer parts of the world that are already much warmer. Um, but what we've done is taken a middle pathway the middle of these RCPs for the majority of the data um, in in order to assess what we think is a pragmatic approach. So we think it's going to get warmer than one and a half. It could be between 1.7 and 2.8 degrees centigrade globally warmer. Now, what does that mean for the average person with the average house in Britain? Again, quite hard to say, but you know the wetter areas are going to get wetter sorry david up in the northwest it's going to rain more um the southeast where i am it's an absolute desert right now and, and it's bone dry and there's clay shrinks well subsidence you know happening right now and, and that's a material real significant impact to properties so you know you're going to get that those contrasts and they're going to become more extreme and the heat waves that we saw you know, just a few weeks ago are going to become typically more frequent and 40 degrees will feel, you know, like a potentially a fairly common occurrence. Um, so we're taking that back back to your earlier question. We're taking that that kind of middle route at the moment on the basis of what we think is pragmatic. We don't want to scaremonger. We don't want to give this kind of extreme version of life um, that, you know, everything's going to cave in um, because we just don't know that science. Uh, we don't want to exaggerate for the sake of headlines. It's a really tricky path to plot, isn't it? Because one of the reasons in those heat waves that the trains, for example, 
didn't run properly or couldn't run at the speeds that they they're capable of doing is because the temperature changed the tolerances in the track mm. and they, they became um i forget the exact sort of uh, technical phraseology but effectively uh, you know it became very dangerous to run at, at high mm. speed you the uk housing stock is not prepared for any of this because it was all built at a, a much earlier point in time when this really wasn't a consideration no you're absolutely right and and while the uk doesn't rank sort of the highest in the world in terms of climate climate risk exposure you know, countries like japan australia uh, are up there places like india and pakistan are suffering horrendous heat exposure right now um but we already have that significant exposure to things like flooding and subsidence uh, you know we, we we understand um but you're right the housing stock was designed and particularly more recently to be much better insulated which ironically means that they're really warm in the winter but some of them can be very stifling in the summer a lot of new build flats have large glazing you know people have gone for bifolds recently and that magnifies the solar gain the thing that's concerning is 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 that we have to do a lot of retrofitting that's really focusing the minds of lenders right now. The other big issue for them is going to be the heat stress and the impact on retrofitting houses, A, for more efficient heating anyway, heating systems, the conversion of gas into electric. So EPCs is going to become a very interesting focus for them. We already know in the housing market, there is a potential legislative barrier now for landlords in 2025, I think, um, uh, moving to 2028 uh, for, for all new loans. Uh, they're going to have to be at an EPC grading of C or above, which is a really high hurdle. Rob Stevens, the head of property risk at Nationwide, he was again at our conference and he was saying that 70% of their book is D or below. So, you know, if you think about the cost of conversion of those properties, I think he estimated an average of 10,000 plus pounds per property to get it to a C level. And if a lot of these are at the E, it's going to be double that, maybe more. Um, this is uh, going to cause some significant problems in the in the mortgage market for the, for the landlords. They could become mortgage prisoners. They could be stuck with their existing lender, or they could have difficulty reselling, particularly at the low level of value of housing, where it's just not cost effective to, um, um, to sell those properties um, because of the retrofit trap. So, you know, there are some big lending decisions coming our way around that and about refitting homes so they're more energy efficient and for people in the future who are looking to resell their homes in order to get the better epc rating the better deals in terms of lending um you know they're going to have to foot a bill uh, and there's there's going to have to be something in the market that incentivizes or moves that in order to make that happen in our move to net zero so whether that's governing incentives or some form of moratorium on stamp duty or whatever i don't know It'd be interesting to see if the lenders encourage it by offering a reduced interest rate for an EPC rating of C or above or something like that. You're seeing that already to a degree, David, actually with green mortgages. I mean, some of it you could argue might be a bit of marketing in terms of trying to get you know new builds off and away. But obviously new builds now are, are through building regs, they should be grades A or B. Um, real, realistically, depending on the property. But um, yes, there, the, those mechanisms are increasingly in place. And I know that green mortgages, there was a massive growth in those in the last year or so. So the market is is responding to that. And I think lenders will increasingly try and drive the housing stock in that way. But there are 
20 million plus houses that need you know this kind of work done on them and i don't think realistically we're going to have the workforce to be able to meet that demand so we do have a problem coming down track with that so with all of that in mind david and uh, we don't want to be doom mongers as, as you've already <laughs> said um what is out there that's going to help conveyances you've talked about some of the stuff that you're doing um mm. but what else is out there that that's going to help them to understand better what lenders are looking for and by extension what the information you're providing is uh and uh, actually help them in their day jobs sure well lenders are already going to be coming forward i think with some changes in in, in how they want to see things reported in the report on title uh, that that will come through i think before the year is out i i would imagine there'll be um, some some clearer guidance on that but more significantly if you recall just under a year ago the law society produced their uh, resolution on climate change around cop 26 um, and that was designed to give a framework for uh, conveyances to be thinking about how they operate as a firm, how they provide education and guidance within the firm to their fee earners, and um, and and how they then translate that in terms of client care advice, whether direct themselves or through the data and tools that they use, such as environmental searches. So that framework's already there, and I would urge anyone listening to certainly read the resolution and understand what that means from a from a risk compliance perspective going forward because that's already there and that's what the law society thinks that most firms should be thinking about when it comes to climate change but you know just ramping that up slightly more guidance is coming and the law society are taking a very close look at this in terms of overarching guidance and what that means in terms of ethics and approach with client care and also some more specific practical guidance in terms of what conveyances will need to do both to their own client and to their lender clients as well. So um, so that is coming through and, and PI insurers will also be taking a far closer look at this as well. We already know that the premiums are, are skyrocketing and conveyancing has some of the, the highest perceived risks in terms of premium. So they're going to be looking at this I think increasingly more closely. I think they'll want to see more evidence of training and education by fianas in terms of what tools are out there and how they're advising their clients and how they're setting themselves up to mitigate the the, the threat of not having signposted a potential risk. Um, we already know there's case law out there, things like the Bird and Bird case with the planning report a few years ago with Orient Field Holdings, where the firm was found um, liable because while the, the information was there, they didn't signpost it. And I think increasingly opinion is coming to the fact that, you know, just because you didn't signpost the information doesn't mean that you weren't responsible for doing it. Um, Stephen Troman's a highly respected QC who was also at our conference last month. He gave a very good analogy about a dentist. So you go in to get a filling done on a tooth and if a dentist spots something else wrong with the other tooth, he's going to or she's going to tell you about that. You know, that's their professional um, practice. That's their that's their requirement. And I see no difference between that and convincing. If, if something is brought up that needs to be signposted, we're not expecting everyone to be climate scientists in the same way that for many years, conveyances have not been experts in um, you know, contaminated land. That is not the purpose of what they're doing. They're just highlighting the potential risk. So that is really the, the, the scope of the retainer here that they should be thinking about. So, so that's really important. 
we talked about ESG, uh, environmental social governance, and I think that will be you know, the key driver going forward. I see corporate and commercial property perhaps moving fairly quickly on this and how that then filters through to, to residential uh, market after that. You know, in terms of tools and what's out there, I see a lot coming. Conveyances should take you know heart that they these tools are coming and that their greater support will be available, both from their associations and from organizations such as ourselves. Well, if we were worried about being doom mongers, David, then hopefully <laughs> pointing people in the direction of the guidance will help. And uh, I know you guys are very keen to offer your support as well. Yes, absolutely. So as, as part of having launched the climate index data, uh, we want to ensure that our customers are understanding the data in the, and, and how they can use that. And more importantly, how they can translate what it says into actionable advice for their clients, because that's the important piece that they will want. If people rolled their eyes at the fact that we were talking about climate change at the start of this, hopefully we've given them some takeaways because uh, you, you've rightly pointed out that actually, you know, this is a really important issue for the UK housing stock, for lenders, really thinking about what's coming down the track rather than the doom and gloom of, of sort of the, the normal climate change message that you you often hear. So thanks very much indeed for joining the podcast. And I think you've, you've thrown some real light onto what conveyances can expect in the future. The Today's Conveyancer podcast is available on your preferred podcast provider. It's also available on Today's Conveyancer. David, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And thank you very much indeed for listening. See you again soon. You're listening to the Today's Conveyancer podcast, the leading source of information for residential property lawyers in England and Wales. Don't forget to subscribe and sign up to our free newsletter at todaysconveyancer.co.uk. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.